Hello, everyone, and welcome to Under the Wire, your home for censored information and information about vaccination and health that the government, the medical community, the pharmaceutical industry, and many of those in power in our world don't want you to have access to. My name is Meryl Dory. I'm founder of the Australian Vaccination Risks Network, and I'm also the mother of a vaccine-injured child who was injured by his DPT vaccine in 1989 and again by his measles, mumps, rubella vaccine in 2000. So thank you for joining me here today. As always, we have an action-packed show with a lot of really vital information to share. Um, and sharing is what it's all about. So if I can ask those of you who are watching this, to please um, do what you can to share this on social media and by email link. Whatever you can do, that would be great because people need to be aware of this information and they're certainly not going to get it from the government or the medical community, even though much of it is sourced from peer-reviewed literature. Um, and speaking of sharing, <laughs> I'm not sure if those of you who are watching this are aware of the changes that have happened in the last two weeks to Facebook. Um, I'm just going to show you this screenshot. Now, this is a search that I did for no compulsory vaccination, which is one of the uh, Facebook pages that I moderate um, along with several others. Now, I've searched in Facebook for no compulsory vaccination. You can see that up here. And here are the results I got. I've got the Centers for Disease Control, the World Health Organization twice. Um, I've got the American Medical Association, the World Health Organization, World Health Organization, um, CDC again, American Medical Association, CDC. I think they're just running out of um, pro-vaccine or anti-choice links to actually share. So when you do a search on Facebook, this is what comes up. And Pinterest, which is owned by Facebook, um, I believe, I'm pretty sure Pinterest is owned by Facebook. They have done even more. If you search for vaccines, you won't get anything. You'll get absolutely nothing at all. And just think about how scared they must be. Because if you have to censor information in order to, uh, I guess, make a point, then you really have no point to make in the first place, do you? So, um Basically, what I'm asking is make bookmarks for all of the pages on Facebook, on Pinterest, on Twitter, on all these other um, social media outlets that you like to visit. Um, I have them in a program that I use, um, which is a text expander. So I can just, you know, type in a couple of letters and it'll automatically put the bookmark up there. But if not, you can just put them in a Word document and save it and that way should you not be able to find the pages again you will be able to find them another way um, and it just shows you that there is a real uh, desperation on the part of the government the media and the medical um, industry to try and stop people from accessing this information. So winning, <laughs> it's really good that we're actually, we've got them on the run. And uh, this is the, these are the actions of a desperate society. Uh, these are not the actions of a society that can back up what they are saying with uh, science or fact or data. 
this is um, what someone does when they have none of those things. And when it comes to vaccination, that's basically it. Um, there is so little scientific information to show that vaccines are effective and no information at all to show that they're safe. So um, I'm going to uh, just show you one other. No, that's not it. Sorry. Um, let me go back. I don't know if I have it. This is an article. Just to let you know, I will be sharing all of these articles and links on the AVN Facebook page um, in the section under the wire. I had uh, an article from, a, an, I think it's a magazine called Tech News that was published on the 24th of August in the UK. And it says, UK to pressure social media companies to fight anti-vax info. And anti-vax info is actually scientific info sourced from peer-reviewed literature that shows that vaccines are neither safe nor effective. Um, so uh, the new prime minister, Boris, um, has put pressure on companies like Facebook, like Twitter, like all these other companies to uh, block information about vaccination. And I was just going to share that article. I will share it on the um, AVN uh, website, but for now I don't know where I put it. Um, what I'd like to talk about next is the flu vaccine. Now, there's been a lot of panic over this last week, and I don't blame people for being a little nervous, because yet another vaccine has been added to the childhood schedule in Australia, and that is the flu vaccine. Um, and it will be six new doses of vaccination between the ages of six months and uh, five years of age. That is two doses in the first year because one dose isn't good enough. You need to have two. And then a dose every year until a child turns five. And then they go on to the other schedule, which will be annual flu vaccines anyway. Uh, it's a great business model, not such a great model for health. So um, we have the flu vaccine being added to the schedule. And again, we have so much evidence that the Murdoch media, uh, Rupert Murdoch's newspapers, uh, television stations, are behind this government policy. This policy has nothing to do with science, nothing to do with health, and nothing whatsoever to do with um, any kind of proof that the vaccine is either necessary or safe for children. Um, or needed. Yeah, I said necessary. Uh, what happened was starting in about March last year, we started to get articles in the newspapers and on television basically saying that we needed to um, vaccinate against influenza. So um, here is an article from the 25th of May. This is on the ABC, um, our ABC that doesn't really report anything except what the pharmaceutical companies ask them to report when it comes to health. And it says, parents urged to vaccinate children against flu after 37 confirmed deaths this year. So in the first four months or a bit over of the year, what we're being told is that there were 37 confirmed deaths and parents needed to make sure their children were vaccinated. The implication is that those 37 deaths occurred in children, but nothing could be further from the truth. 
Um, if you scroll down a little bit further, there were 37 deaths in people with confirmed flu, uh, which was an early start to the season. There were 1,320 confirmed flu cases, 10 deaths in aged care centers. The majority of the deaths were in people aged over 60. So why are we being told to vaccinate children when most of the people who are dying from influenza, according to this, are over the age of 60, or, or at least, um, yeah, over the age of 60, and most of them would have been vaccinated, though that is a statistic that we never actually hear. Um, we're not told that, yeah, six extra vaccines. We are not told that our children are, A, not at a special risk for flu, and um, also that most children who do get flu, and much of the flu that we are being reported as, um, flu are, is actually just an upper respiratory tract infection. It could be a virus, it could be a bacterial infection, it could be anything. But in most cases, when there is testing done, most of these flu cases turn out not to be flu. So we have a situation where we're being told now that children are, here, children are particularly susceptible to flu, so parents and carers are being urged to take up the offer of a free flu vaccine for children aged from six months to five years under the government's new program. Now, this is from May, and there was no uh, vaccine on the schedule, but this was the media actually pushing that um, the addition of that vaccination. And it's interesting what Raina McIntyre, she's a biosecurity expert from the University of New South Wales, and um, she said, what you're immune to this year won't protect you next year. So that's a fallacy that you can get the flu this year and be protected for life, she said. There's a general, quote, anti-vaccination view that it's good to get natural infection. That's again a fallacy. The complications and risks of these diseases are much more serious than any potential risks from the vaccine. Well, Raina McIntyre, liar, liar, pants on fire, because what... What has been found in research, for instance, and I may have mentioned this before, so excuse me if I'm saying it again, um, the swine flu vaccine. Um, in the 1976, there was an epidemic of so-called swine flu uh, in North America, in Canada, and in the United States, and probably in other parts of the world as well. That was in 1976. And what happened was in 2010 and 2009, we were told that there was an outbreak of swine flu. It was going to be a deadly outbreak. But what scientists found was that people who got the swine flu in 1976 were protected against the flu that went around. Even though it was a different strain of flu, they were protected by their previous infection 40 years earlier. So you have to get vaccinated every single year if you want to be protected, according to science. But if you get a, a case of the flu, you will be protected, as far as we can tell, for life. And not just from that exact strain of the flu, but from the flu. So what are we actually pushing the vaccine for? The Cochrane Collaboration, and I will put a link to their um, 
studies. They've done two large retrospective studies on uh, published information on flu vaccine. And they have found that for children and the elderly, the flu vaccine makes absolutely no sense. It makes no difference in the risk of hospitalization or serious illness. And even when you look at healthy adults, I think it reduced the um, the time that you'd be sick from the flu by about 12 hours. So we have absolutely no evidence that this vaccine is either safe, effective, or necessary. And we have a lot of evidence to show that it is extremely dangerous. Um, as far as I know, aside from the HPV Gardasil vaccine in the United States, the flu vaccine is the next uh, most reported vaccine to the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, to VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Reactions Reporting System. Uh, adverse events reporting system, excuse me. Um, so it is a dangerous vaccine, and it is an ineffective vaccine. Last year, um, last year, from my understanding, uh, the flu vaccine was only found to be 17% effective. And as I've said before, anything less than 50% is ineffective. 17% is a joke. If you have a 17% reduced risk of infection, um, trying to work out what the actual uh, actual risk is for the individual is almost impossible because there would be no benefit there. There would be such a small benefit, it's hardly even worth measuring. So we have a situation where we have children now uh, being targeted with a flu vaccine in Australia. And what the media is doing, especially the Murdoch media, around the world, but especially in Australia, because we're very special when it comes to the Murdoch media, is they are inciting hatred and spreading hate speech. Now, I'd like to share a couple of those articles. Um, this one says, anti-vax hates, anti-vax pack are a threat to the health of our children. Now, I just want to get this up on my screen because I cannot for the life of me um, see what that says. So give me one second and I'll just get that up here. Here we go. All right. Um, here we go. Now this is from the Daily Telegraph and this woman goes through this whole thing. It was published on the 21st of August about how she's constantly, constantly trying to convince people that they should vaccinate and they're not listening to her. And um, she calls this intransigence, extra maddening, because she's a bit of an ex-hippie herself. Uh, barefoot tree hugger, <laughs> acupuncture falafels, and folk music. Tick, tick, tick. Uh, and she feels that the cavalier attitude to herd immunity, which is a myth, uh, gives alternative culture a bad name. Oh, didums. The last paragraph in this article is something I would like to point out to you. And again, this article will be posted on the website. I wouldn't advocate bumping off those who refuse to vaccinate their offspring. Isn't that nice of her? But that doesn't mean I don't feel borderline murderous. Borderline murderous. So she's allowed to publish this in a mainstream newspaper saying that she's not quite advocating 
for bumping us off, but she does feel murderous when she thinks about us. Hmm. Do you think that that's an appropriate um, way to deal with a scientific debate? Do you think that this sort of language is not possibly going to incite someone who is less than mentally stable to potentially take action based on her words? Um, if you think so, then I think that you're wrong because uh, something like this is a dangerous thing to put in any mainstream media. And uh, I just think that we really need to look at the rhetoric that's being pushed by the media when it comes to vaccination and call it out when we see it. Um, the AVN has uh, just uh, put together with another group, an independent group, a page on our website for debunking uh, media stories. We've only got two or three of them up there right now, but there will be more going up. And... Um, it is important that we actually do this. It is important that you, as an individual watching this information, um, needs to contact the newspapers, the television stations, the radio stations, and let them know what you think about this sort of language. Let them know that you yourself have made a very informed choice. And if you have a child who's been injured by a vaccine and you made that choice after an injury, let them know that too. They should not be allowed to get away with this sort of hate speech and incitement. Hate speech is illegal in Australia. And what that article evidenced is hate speech. Now, I'd like to point out, uh, this is an article from the UK. I'll just get this up on my screen as well. Bear with me one minute. I didn't realize it was going to look so small. Hopefully it doesn't look quite as small for you. Um, it, it's the, the article is called Anti-Vax Superstition. So now when people use science to make a decision about vaccination, it's called a superstition blamed for the loss of the UK's measles-free status. And there's a picture of Boris Johnson, the new U UK Prime Minister, and what the first paragraph says is complacent parents and a misguided belief in superstitious mumbo-jumbo about the supposed risks of vaccines has contributed to the UK losing its measles-free status, says Boris Johnson. Now, again, that is simply not true. There are cases of measles reported in the UK and in Australia every single year, regardless of what the vaccination status is in those countries. Um, and almost every single case that is reported is being um, reported in someone who has previously been vaccinated against the measles. As we discussed last week from Dr. Loretta Bolgan, the measles vaccine virus varies from vial to vial. Um, it, it has very little to no relation to the circulating strain of measles, so it cannot possibly vaccinate you against the disease when it is a different virus altogether. Um, and that change has been made by the... Um, the use of the different ingredients in the vaccines that have been put in there to attenuate the virus or to change it chemically so that it supposedly can't cause infection. Um, while it can certainly cause infection and breakthrough measles is a thing, as is breakthrough um, rubella and breakthrough mumps, uh, and there have been huge outbreaks of mumps in the developed countries in the fully vaccinated as well, and Merck, the vaccine manufacturer, is currently in court against two whistleblowers who were scientists at Merck and who have said that Merck lied, whoops, 
about the effectiveness of the mumps portion of the vaccine and fraudulently changed the testing using, I think it was rabbit blood, to try and prove that the vaccine actually worked. Um, but that's another story, and I digress again. The fact is that we are seeing an upsurge of measles around the world in the fully vaccinated. This was predicted in the 1980s. Um, the measles vaccine itself is waning. Uh, there was a study that just came out. I wish I had put it here. I will put it on the website. I only just read it a couple of days ago, and I'm trying to remember the exact statistics, but I think it said that by the time a child who is fully vaccinated with two doses of the MMR vaccine reaches the age of 10, 40% uh, of them will have no evidence of immunity. And again, for immunity, they're using antibodies, which don't, does not indicate immunity anyway. And by the time they're an adult, and I think they might have said the age of 20, 65% of them had no evidence of immunity. So we are having outbreaks of measles in the vaccinated. The vaccine is waning over time, and the unvaccinated are being blamed. So what are the uh, what is the evidence that the government is using to say that falling vaccination rates are to blame for this outbreak? Well, here is this is March of 2019, and this is from the Australian government website. Uh, this is total vaccination coverage for Australia as a whole up to the age of five years. Now, the last measles vaccine is given before the age of two years, and then um, there is a push for a third vaccine as well. So, um, as you can see, almost 95% of all five-year-old children, according to the government, and I personally don't believe this statistic, but uh, the government says that almost 95% of children are fully vaccinated against all the diseases we vaccinate children against. That is the highest rate of vaccination we have ever had in Australia. Uh, it is the rate at which even now They've said we should have herd immunity, yet we have increasing incidence of diphtheria, oh, sorry, not diphtheria, whooping cough, pardon me. We have increasing incidence of whooping cough, mumps, measles, and um, we are blaming all of this on the unvaccinated, even though according, according to the government. Jane, can you hear me now? Because I think I've put the volume up as high as it goes. Uh, if that's too low, please let me know. Um, we have increasing incidence of many of the diseases we currently vaccinate against, and most of the cases um, which are being reported are in the fully vaccinated. So why in the world? Sorry, I'm just going to try and increase that volume and see if that's any better. So why in the world? Are we blaming the unvaccinated for diseases in the vaccinated? It doesn't make any sense unless you're trying to push a barrow, which would increase profits for, well, for the media who has financial vested interests in the pharmaceutical industry. Of course, they want to do that. And for the government who gets a lot of donations from the pharmaceutical industry, well, there you go. They want to do that. And it is bread and butter for the average doctor uh, to vaccinate, uh, both from the fees that parents pay when they bring their children in for vaccinations and 
for the government bribes they get under the general practice immunization incentive. So uh, there is a lot of reason for the government to push these things. And a lot of, oh, good, Jane, thank you. And a lot of reason for us as parents to be skeptical about the information that we're being told. Now, we're told that social media needs to censor us and to block us wherever possible because what we are sharing is misinformation. But misinformation is what the media, the government, and the medical community are sharing. If anyone is spreading misinformation, it is them. And I really think that we as parents need to be discerning. We need to be active and we need to be vocal on this issue uh, because we're winning. We are scaring the daylights out of them. They wouldn't be doing any of this if it wasn't the fact that more and more people are choosing not to vaccinate. That's what I'm saying. That 94.78% statistic, I don't think that has any basis in reality. Um, that is information taken from the Australian Childhood Immunization Register. And as we saw in 2016, uh, sorry, 2015, October 2015, when there was a hearing in Queensland, a Senate hearing, uh, the information in the register was at least 50% wrong at that time. And I don't see any evidence that it is any more correct today than it was then. But anyway, uh, the other thing I want to share with you about this addition of the flu vaccine for children aged between six months and five years of age is that it has been added to the PBSC, which is the Pharmaceutical Benefits, I forget exactly what that stands for, but when a drug or a vaccine is added to the PBSC, it means that anyone who the government says that drug or vaccine is indicated for can get it either free or at a discounted rate. So children um, between those age groups can get the vaccine for free, but it has not been added to no jab, no pay yet. So you are not required to get it in order to get your childcare allowance or certain other government payments at this point in time. Um, the AVN contacted someone from Greg Hunt's office uh, a couple of days ago and spoke with her, uh, and she said that the flu vaccines for babies and children are not a requirement under no jab, no pay. And we asked what it would take to change this so that to make it a requirement. And she said that a legislative amendment to the present law would need to be passed in Parliament. So for the present time, there is no requirement for anyone to take this vaccine or to give this vaccine to their children in order to qualify for the payments under no jab, no pay. Um, and again, remember that no jab, no pay only relates to payments from the government. It relates to the child care allowance. If you have a child who is not fully vaccinated with all vaccines, according to the government schedule, you will not be able to access the child care rebate at all. And you will lose $28 a fortnight from your child, uh, for your family tax benefit, Part A, uh, if you don't vaccinate fully. That's if you leave out any vaccine and you don't have a medical exemption, you will lose out on those payments, $28 a fortnight and the child care allowance. You cannot be excluded from school 
School is not covered under this legislation. School is a requirement. So a lot of people have been contacting us, telling them that schools are telling them that they can't put their children in there. That's not true. Um, on the AVN's website, we have a page on vaccine laws, both federal laws and also state laws. So it is up to us to be aware of what our rights are. Go to the website, look at the very top. It says vaccine laws and um, get informed about what your rights are because nobody can take your rights away if you know what they are. So I really urge everyone to do that and to take responsibility. Um, now, I just want to share another couple of articles. Uh, this is another one. Measles cases triple as vaccination rates fall worldwide. Uh, just more of the same rubbish that's from the Courier Mail. And again, they're claiming that vaccination rates have fallen, which is absolutely not true. Uh, vaccination rates in every developed country that I know of um, are not falling, not falling at all. They are actually on the increase, though I don't think they're in any way on the increase as much as the government has said. Um, as for whether unvaccinated children can still go to child care, the answer is that depends on what state you live in. Uh, West Australia, New South Wales, and Victoria do not allow any unvaccinated children to go to child care. So um, that is the sad uh, truth about this is that um, if you are not vaccinating, your children will not be allowed in child care in those states. Queensland leaves it up to the child care center and other states and territories have not enacted legislation yet. Um, and here's another one. This is, oh, I don't, it's the 31st of August. That's today. Okay, let me just make this a little bit bigger so I can read it to you. And this is Parents Put Kids at Flu Risk. And the ironic thing about this is it's from West Australia. And West Australia is where um, Saba Button and more than 250 other children were injured by an experimental flu vaccine that the parents were never told was experimental. It's the home of the Telethon Institute, which works closely with the pharmaceutical industry to run non-study studies on vaccines uh, to rubber stamp them. And uh, it is a place where people are rightly skeptical of what the government tells them about vaccinations. And what it says here is young West Australian children are the least likely in Australia to be immunized against the flu, with four out of five families failing to get their kids protected. Now, the word protected there is a misnomer because there's no evidence that the flu vaccine is actually going to protect any children. And the Cochrane collaboration, as I said, found that there was no benefit in that age group uh, to the flu vaccination. So um, what they're saying, and again, this is more pushing of a financial uh, benefit rather for the for the media rather than a health benefit for families, uh, they are saying that everyone should be getting vaccinated against influenza, and 
the science just does not bear that out. It it doesn't. So um, we we really and truly have to be uh, discerning consumers of health care and of information. And I'm not saying that the information that you get on Under the Wire is the only information you should get. By all means, access the government's information. Look at their references. Speak with your doctors. Speak with your other health care providers, anyone who you trust. And after you've gotten all of the available information, then make a decision that you can live with, that your children can live with, and that you feel is best for you. That is our right. That is something that the government, no matter how much they try, cannot take away from us. So honestly, uh, we need to be able to make these choices. Now, I don't know whether or not the individual states are going to be linking the flu vaccine with their no jab, no play policies or what the no jab, no play policies are. And to be perfectly honest with you, um, we at the AVN are uh, stretched a little bit thin right now. I have a link at the top of this um, broadcast for our volunteer survey. Now we have over 120 people who've already answered the survey and offered to be volunteers. And I'm going to be contacting a lot of them this week because we have several jobs that are getting fairly urgent and I'm going to be contacting people who've put down that they are interested in helping in these specific areas. But what we really need at this point in time is someone to contact the uh, health minister in each state and territory of Australia and to ask them the question, uh, is what vaccines are required in order to access no jab, no play? Now, when I, I just said all states and territories, but it's only West Australia, New South Wales, uh, Victoria, and Queensland, because those are the only states that I'm aware of that have brought in no jab, no play. So if you are someone who would like to help with this, who wants to just make a quick phone call uh, and and thinks that you can help out with this, please click the link uh, at the top of the broadcast that says um, volunteer survey and answer the questions and put down in the comments section that this is something you'd like to do and we will get you working on that. No doubt about that. Uh, now, I've gotten a couple of links. I have tried to find the prescribing information for the vaccine that's being offered to children for free uh, in Australia. And it's called Vaxigrip Tetra. And it's Tetra because it's got four strains of the flu, va flu virus in it. And I could not, for the life of me, find the 2020 package insert for Vaxigrip Tetra. That's a mouthful, Vaxigrip Tetra. But what I did find is um, this prescribing information from Israel from 2018. It's the closest I could find. And I'm sure that we will eventually get the uh, prescribing information in Australia, but this kind of also rings an alarm bell for me because if we don't have the prescribing information on the TGA's website, is this yet another experimental vaccine that hasn't really been trialed in Australia on children? But be that as it may, we'll wait and see what happens. Um, 
So the strains that are here, listed here, these A Michigan, A Singapore, B Colorado, B Phuket, uh, these are probably not the same ones that are used in the 2020 vaccine or will be used in the 2020 vaccine. Um, and here are the indications. Vaxigrip Tetra is indicated for active immunization of adults and children from six months of age and older for the prevention of influenza disease by, this, by these four strains of the virus. Um, and it says, based on clinical experience with the trivalent vaccine, so they're saying here they are using the trivalent or the three-strain vaccine as a proxy for clinical experience with this four-in-one vaccine, which again, rings alarm bells. Have they not tested it? I don't know. Um, and it's saying that the duration of immunity provided by the vaccine means that you need to get it every year. Again, if you get the virus itself, the experience has shown that you're protected for decades, but the vaccine you need to get every year. Children less than the age of six months of age have not uh, shown that it is safe or effective in that age group. And I want to point out to you that children under the age of 12 months, their immune system is not fully formed and they do not respond the way that an adult would to vaccinations. So we actually have doubts that vaccination under the age of 12 months is, a, is effective in any way. But what they are saying is under the age of six months, uh, this vaccine has not been shown to be safe or effective. Six months and one day, they're recommending it. That's science. Um, I just want to point out a couple of other things. All right, for pregnancy. Now again, we're we're using the flu vaccine during pregnancy. And what they say, there are no data on the use of Vaxigrip Tetra in pregnant women. What they've done is they have an animal study that did not indicate direct or indirect harmful effects with respect to pregnancy. But They've never actually studied this vaccine in humans. They've said that it can be used during breastfeeding. How many breastfeeding women did they study it in? There's no reference to anything. Fertility. There is no fertility data available in humans. One study in animals uh, did not indicate any harmful effects on fertility. And... Um, the most frequently reported adverse reactions were headaches and malaise. Both of those were pretty frequent, and myalgia. So a quarter of the people who got it got a headache. Now, this is in adults. They don't have that statistic in children, in babies, because how is a baby going to tell you their head hurts? They cry, and it's called an encephalitic cry. And it is a symptom of a possible encephalitis, which can cause brain damage, which can kill children. Um, so the, this is not a benign reaction. This is, it can be quite a serious reaction. And as you can see, the rate of reactions overall were very, very high. And this is information that, trust me, doctors are not going to be telling their patients. And let's face it, 
from past experience, most doctors have never read the package inserts for the vaccines, and they have no idea what warnings they should be giving to patients. They, they go with what the government tells them, and the government does not inform them about these risks. So we really and truly need to get this information ourselves and uh, not not just take the word of our doctor or the government that these things are safe and effective. Um, I found something else that is really interesting. Um, this is on clinicaltrials.gov. This is an American website that reports on clinical trials. Uh, the safety of quadrivalent influenza vaccine, Vaxigrip Tetra, in subject AIDS six months and older in Vietnam. Now, the fact that they're doing this study in Vietnam in and of itself is a concern because it probably means that they couldn't get ethical permission to study people in the United States or even Australia, which has very lax ethical standards for studies. Um, the study was performed by Sanofi Pasteur. Sanofi is the manufacturer of the vaccine. The study finished in March this year, and it has not been published. And they have posted no results at all. There were only 230 children studied. But what I found really interesting is the list of exclusions. These are people who were not allowed to participate in the study, children, infants, who were not allowed to participate in the study. Um, and these are people who in Australia would get the vaccine. Uh, people who were pregnant or lactating. So again, remember it said that it was safe in breastfeeding? You know, if they exclude people who are lactating, how do they know? If they exclude people who are pregnant, how do they know? Uh, people who've received any vaccines in the last four weeks. Now, if they're going to give this at the age of six months to babies, they're going to have gotten vaccines at the same time. Um, people with known suspected or congenital acquired immune deficiency. Now, a lot of people who get vaccinated have immune deficiency. That is not accepted as a contraindication in Australia. So immune deficient people would still be getting vaccinated. All of these um, contraindications or exclusions in this study are not acceptable exclusions in Australia for anyone getting a vaccine. Now, I just want to share a couple of really cool videos with you. Um, one of them is from New Zealand, and it's Dr. Nikki Turner from IMAC. That's the Immunization Advisory Council in New Zealand. And this is a great video that was just uh, published a few days ago uh, by someone called Just a Dad. I'm just going to put it up here. It's going to be silent for the first probably 30 seconds, so don't don't think that you're not hearing the sound. I get vaccinated to protect myself. However, if you are unvaccinated, you can easily spread the virus to me. I get vaccinated to protect myself. However, if you are unvaccinated, you can easily spread the virus to me.
I think the way to move will be every child every year. Okay, I think that was just beautiful. It is a sign that even in the medical community, the ones that want to vaccinate every child every single year, they don't have faith or confidence that the vaccine is going to protect anyone, not themselves, not anyone. This esteemed doctor who has a very high government position in New Zealand says that she vaccinates herself to protect herself, but that if she's exposed to a healthy, unvaccinated person, they can easily get her sick? Well, then what's the point of vaccinating? Think about it. There is no logic in this at all. None. Um, it is just absolutely insane, basically. Um, and I just think that... Uh, <laughs> it's mind-blowing a little bit to think that, that she has not made that connection. Now, I want to let you know that next week or the week after, I am going to be speaking with someone in New Zealand from Waves, which is the equivalent of the AVN in New Zealand, uh, regarding the situation there. New Zealand has always been, in my mind, a, a beacon of light when it comes to this issue. They they have resisted for a very long time the pressures being brought to bear on so many issues, you know, nuclear issue and uh, the environment uh, and, and on vaccination and on personal choice. They actually have a Bill of Rights, which I hope will protect the Kiwis. But I'm going to be speaking with someone about what's happening there because it is very similar to what's going on in Australia. And I think we need to be aware of it. Now, uh, I want to go to a different country now, and that is the United States. As most of you would know, when no jab, no pay came in, one of the first things, well, it's part of the actual no jab, no pay legislation, all contraindications that were previously accepted, and a contraindication is a reason why vaccines may not be appropriate for a specific person, all of them were removed except for one, and that's anaphylaxis, which is a life-threatening allergic reaction to a dose of a vaccine. And as I discussed, I believe, in last week's Under the Wire, even with anaphylaxis, you have to have an anaphylactic reaction to every dose of every vaccine in order to get a contraindication. If you have an anaphylactic reaction to a DTAP, then you might be able to get uh, an exemption, a medical exemption for future DTaP vaccines, but you'll have to take the meningococcal vaccine, the MMR vaccine, the uh, polio vaccine, all these other vaccines, unless and until you have an anaphylactic reaction to those. And then if you've survived that, you might be able to get an exemption to that. Um, in the United States, California has been closely following what's been happening in Australia. And uh, they are currently looking at legislation called SB 276, which is going to do exactly the same thing. 
that No Jab, No Pay has done in Australia. The difference being that um, Americans don't get payments from the government in most cases uh, just for being parents. That's something that happens in Australia, not in the U.S. And uh, so what they are doing is restricting access to school, and they're even talking about restricting people who homeschool or unschool uh, from not being able to vaccinate. So I would like to share this video with you. Um, this is a group in the U.S., Parents for Healthcare Rights, who have contacted 882 pediatricians, their practices, to ask them about medical exemptions. Now, keep in mind, this legislation hasn't even passed yet, but there is such fear in the medical community and also such self-interest because I think they get $400 per patient who they vaccinate uh, on top of all the other costs that they get. So there's a very strong financial interest. They can get tens of thousands of dollars uh, for vaccinating their patients. So let me, without further ado, share this video with you. I want to be sure every child who needs a medical exemption gets one. That is the part of the purpose of this bill. Be sure every child who needs a medical exemption will get one. Uh, hi, we've had some out of state and uh -huh. are trying to enroll in school, but they're saying we need a complete immunization record or a medical uh -huh. exemption. And my son hasn't been vaccinated since he was 12 months because he had an anaphylactic reaction and we had a personal belief exemption where we used to live. But I guess those aren't accepted here. Can we make an appointment to get a medical exemption? Unfortunately, at our office, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that for you. Um, no, we don't do that. Our doctors don't do that. So even if my child had a severe reaction, you guys do not write them for any reason? Yeah, correct. Well, this is not going to be the practice. Uh -huh. But don't they say that if a child has anaphylaxis, that's a valid reason to write a medical exemption? Right, but our doctors do not write medical exemptions. No, I'm sorry. No. So we have a strict rule that's by our providers in this office specifically that all of the children here are um, immunized without exception. That's chilling. I, I get goosebumps when I look at this because what would you as a parent do to protect your children? Anything, I would think. You know, you would, you would move heaven and earth as most parents would. I'd say almost all parents would. And 
the governments and the medical community are trying in every way possible to block you from doing your job as parents. And this is immoral, unethical, and absolutely wrong. So we in Australia had this first. We have no access to medical exemptions except in the case of anaphylaxis. And even then, the doctor has to actually see the anaphylactic reaction and then be willing to put their license on the line by writing a medical exemption. And what we've been seeing is that doctors have been doing just that. Very few doctors, but doctors have been doing just that. And when the exemption is sent to Centrelink, Centrelink is knocking it back. Centrelink, who has never seen this child and has no idea who they are or why they got an exemption, and yet they are being knocked back. We are being told that every child has to be fully vaccinated, no matter the individual risk, even if it kills them. It's all for the greater good. And that is not... Uh, how long before this happens here, Robert? It's already happened here. Parents are not able to get medical exemptions. Probably the question that is asked of the AVN more often than any other question is, my child almost died after a vaccination two years ago. They had a medical exemption now with no jab, no pay. I have to get a new medical exemption. Can you help me? And the answer is no, we can't. We wish we could, but no, we can't. We cannot help them get medical exemptions, but what we can do is we can help them get together with groups of parents who are in the same situation for shared care, shared preschool, shared help. And that's all we can do. The government has driven parents, loving, intelligent, well-informed parents, underground. And that's where we are right now. We are under the wire. We are hiding out in our bunkers together. And we are sharing the, the help and the support as much as we possibly can. And we hope that you will join us here because we need as many of you as we possibly can get and you need us as well. Now, I'm almost out of time, uh, but I did want to share one other thing with you. And this is a, a new article. I've only just gotten the article yesterday. I have a link to it at the top of the episode. It's by Professor Chris Exley, Christopher Exley. Um, he's in the UK. I forget the name of his university. Uh, Keele University, sorry. Um, he is in the UK and he has just published an article, Aluminium in Human Brain Tissue, How Much is Too Much? So I'm just going to show you a screenshot here. Uh, it is a fairly technical article, but he has been studying, uh, Chris Shaw in, the, in uh, Canada has been studying this too, and several other doctors around the world have all been studying this information. But um, what he has looked at is the fact that aluminium does not provide any benefit in the human brain. There's only risk to aluminium. And he has found that there is no information out in the medical community about the safety of aluminium, but there is a lot of information about the risks. 
And this, these risks include um, things like Alzheimer's and dementia and all sorts of other neurological conditions that are now becoming epidemic and more scary yet are happening in younger and younger people. And what he has done is looked at how much aluminum is in people's brains and what sorts of uh, conditions have been associated with this aluminum. I mean, we are told, I know that I've been told for probably, I'm trying to think about when I threw away my aluminum pans and stopped using antiperspirant. Probably 25 years ago or more, um, we were told quite openly, don't use aluminum foil on your food, don't cook in aluminum, uh, and don't use aluminum containing antiperspirants. This was not anything that was hidden in any way. And yet somehow we're told that it's perfectly fine to use um aluminum in vaccines and to inject it directly into the muscle tissue of children and adults at very high levels, levels that are far higher than any supposed safe level that the Food and Drug Administration or the Therapeutic Goods Administration have put out without ever testing what a safe level is in every range of people by their weight, by their genetic susceptibility, by their family history, by anything. So we are using a toxin, a poison in vaccines that is known to be associated with neurological deficits and with dementia. And we are seeing neurological deficits and dementia reach epidemic proportions in children and in adults. And yet we're being told there's no connection to that. So I recommend that everyone get a copy of Dr. Ke- Professor Keel's, sorry, Professor Keel's uh, study. As I said, there is a link here, and I will also put the link in the blog post on Under the Wire on the AVN's website, so that you will be able to not only look at this information but share it as well. And I want to bring up one other thing quickly about aluminum in vaccines. And I don't remember if I spoke about this last week. I spent a lot of time discussing Dr. Loretta Bolgan from Corvelva and the information that she had shared with us about uh, vaccines in general and about aluminum specifically. And one of the things that Dr. Bolgan had said, and this is a preliminary result, I don't believe that it's been even mentioned in other studies, and I haven't taken the time to look at it, but I will, um, that they believe that the aluminum adjuvants that are put into many vaccines actually interact with the proteins of the viruses, bacteria, and other proteins that are in the vaccines to form prions. Now, prions are like tangles of uh, material, protein material, that are implicated in the development of mad cow disease, scrapie in sheep, and Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. Uh, They are invariably fatal, and uh, they are a known risk for certain animals and for humans. And the fact that vaccines may possibly be able to increase your risk of getting these diseases in animals and in humans is something that has never been looked at as far as I've been able to tell and never been studied 
but it is one of the one of the many elephants in the vaccine room that we really and truly need to be asking questions about oh speaking of asking questions i am going to say one other thing um thank you to the people who wrote to the uh authorities that we suggested in the newsletter uh and uh in last week's under the wire regarding those three questions sorry two questions uh that were asked of the therapeutic goods administration what vaccines are licensed for use in australia and where are these vaccines manufactured we've had one person send us the response they got from uh, a government official and the response was you can see what vaccines are licensed on the department of health website which is not true because there are vaccines that are licensed in australia that are not on that website um, and the other thing they said that we the list of manufacturers is also on the website now we don't want the list of manufacturers we want to know where those manufacturers are producing the vaccines. So I have asked the person who forwarded this response to me to write back if they could and say, you have not answered my questions. Could you please read my questions again and answer them? Um, Honestly, it is beyond belief that such simple questions can't be answered. If they can't answer what vaccines we're using and where they're made, how can they possibly answer are these vaccines safe and are they effective and how do we know? So um, until next week, and I will be interviewing someone on next week's Under the Wire, it's either going to be someone from uh, New Zealand or possibly uh, someone from Australia who's going to be a very special guest. But uh, one way or another, we will have an interview on next week's Under the Wire. I want to thank you all so much for joining me here in my bunker. And I hope to see you all next week as well. Keep commenting, keep sharing, and keep coming back to us at Under the Wire. Thank you.